Hey friends, welcome to God on Top. And as always, I'm Nika Spaulding and we are finishing out 1 John today. So wrapping up this little letter from Big Johnny Boy. So 1 John chapter 5 verses 13 through the end 21. 1 John chapter 5 verses 13 to 21. So let's jump right in. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for him. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. And we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, and in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. This is the word of the Lord. Well, John, the pastor, is coming out and saying his final words. And I always think, like, I just kind of like how the letters in the New Testament end. Like, I think it'd be funny to just, like, grab a couple of them. And they're like, oh, see, I write this with my own hand. And then, like, random ones were like, oh, until so-and-so, I said, hey. And, uh, okay, hopefully I'll see you soon. Like, it's just so human. Like, this is just such a human way to end a letter. Like, I think sometimes we think of the scriptures, we forget that humans participated with God's spirit in creating these, which is why we get different personalities, different writing styles. It's really a beautiful, profound work of literature. And so there's just like moments when you see like the humanity of these people come out. And so John has, John is just so straightforward at times. And then he just kind of lays his cards on the table here at the end. And it's not unlike his, his gospel that he wrote earlier. And so if you remember it, his gospel is really written to an audience that they're not yet believers. He's writing these things. And so he says at the end of his gospel in, in chapter 20, he says, listen, I have written these things to you so that you will believe in the Son of God and have, you know, and, and all these things. And, he, and so he's just like, I mean, it says he could have just been like, hey, guys, full up, like, like just going to lay all my cards on the table here and be totally honest with you. I wrote this book so that you will have a life-altering, eternity-altering encounter with the real Son of God, Jesus Christ, in such a way that you will now believe what I believe at the end of this letter. Like, just straight up. That's what he's saying. No, no offense. Like, he's not, like, I think so many times we're always like, oh, I don't have an agenda. I don't have an agenda. And John's like, I have an agenda. I, I have an agenda right here. And he just tell, and he just tells you it. He's like, I, I want you to believe. And so he does the same thing in this letter in First John, but the agenda is a little bit different in this book in that his gospel, he's writing to people who aren't yet believers, and he's saying, I want you to believe. And in this one, we get his purpose for this letter here in verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe. So he's writing to believers in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may know that you have eternal life. And so John is laying his cards on the table. He's like, listen. Listen, little children, listen, people of Ephesus, listen, people in the in the Turkish region all around here, listen, I know your faith was shaken. I know it. 
And so I wrote this thing to you. I have an agenda in writing you, and it is this, that you would have complete and unwavering confidence that the object of your faith was the God-man Jesus Christ, and in believing in him, you may know that you have eternal life. And so I think sometimes we might approach our Christian heritage as one that sometimes it feels like great humility to say, I don't really know everything. Like, and, and listen, that's the truth. Look, nobody knows everything. Like, I, I realize what I just said. But I mean, like, sometimes I think people want, think it shows a sign of humility to say, I'm not 100% sure because I'm not God. But I believe that God has written some things to us so that we will know. Like, I think you're supposed to put your head on your pillow at the end of the night and know that it's not presumptuous to believe you have eternal life in Jesus Christ, even on your worst day. Like even in that day when you took, to, you know, you you said something you shouldn't have said, you slept with someone you shouldn't have slept with, you drank something you shouldn't have drank, you watched something you shouldn't have watched, you crossed a boundary you shouldn't have crossed. I believe in that moment, if you call on the name of the Lord as your Lord and Savior, and you understand that what you did was sin, and you understand that your faith was not in your obedience, but it's in the faith of the obedient one, then I believe even on that day when your head hits your pillow, or a pillow, that it is still your right as a believer to know that you have eternal life. Now, it's not to say you make light of sin. Get right, right? I mean, every every New Testament author is going to say that. You're not going to find a single one. Like, you're not going to walk up to Paul and be like, hey, is my sin not a big deal? He's going to be like, may it never be. And, you know, John's going to be like, what would you say? You should not go on sinning. And James is like, I don't even know if you're a believer. I mean, really, who looks in the mirror and walks away and forgets what he looks like, right? No New Testament author is going to tell you your sin isn't a big deal. Like Peter's going to be like, I told you it was a crouching tiger, hidden lion coming for you, right? Every one of them, every one of them. It is going to devastate you. It is violence against your relationship with the Lord. It is violence against yourself and it is violence against other sin. It's not some little whoopsie. It is, it is cosmic terror that we have brought into this world. And even then, even though every one of those authors would say those things about it, every one of them would still say, but listen, but listen, there is grace for your weaknesses. There is grace for the violence that you bring into this world. And you, little child, who, who really needs to grow up, but little child, you may know that you have eternal life. And so I say all of this, and I know that pastorally, like sometimes people are afraid to like really just heap grace on us because they're afraid we're going to abuse it. And that's not mine to worry about. Like that's you and your relationship with the Lord. Like my job as this podcaster is to tell the truth. And this is the truth is that even at your worst moment, after you became a believer, Jesus never once stopped saying mine. The Holy Spirit never stopped testifying your mind. The Father never once looked away from you. That is the beautiful inheritance of us idiots known as Christians is that we put our faith into a God who will not be faith unfaithful to us even though we are unfaithful to God all the time. And that is why John is saying, I have written these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. And so I know what you're thinking. And you're like, well, Johnny boy, if that's why you wrote it, some of your sentences are a little confusing because you say things like, if you go on sinning, you don't know God. So if you if you wanted to just say, I wrote this thing so that you will know you have eternal life, you could have probably, I don't know, written it a little differently. And that's where I'd say, no, 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 no. 
Go back and remember why John's writing. He is addressing false teachers. It's why he has harsh language reserved for them, right? But then he comes to you and he says, little children, know that you have these things. Young men, know that you have these things. Older gentlemen, know that you have these things, right? He is, he is throughout this letter weaved assurance throughout. And I think he does it masterfully. And so here's, here's what I'm saying is John is trying to tell you these litmus tests, the moral, social, and doctrinal litmus tests are not meant to be an unreachable standard. Like you're not supposed to put them up on your window every day and be like, never sin. Dang it. Always believe everything you're ever supposed to believe rightly about God. Dang it. Love unceasingly. Dang it. Like you're not, that's, this is not meant to be some ridiculous level, some unattainable level for you. What this was supposed to be for you, dear believer, is a reminder of what the people of God are supposed to look, act, and believe like in their obedience and all of that. But it is meant to be a comfort to you. It's a comfort to you. It is meant to be a reminder of all that God has done for you. And then it is meant to be a litmus test to anyone who would say, I speak on behalf of God. Oh, you do, do you? It's interesting that you say you speak on behalf of God, and yet you say that you'd no longer sin. That's interesting. You're a liar. And so John is masterfully written a homily here that is designed to bring you comfort. And so if it's uncomfortable because you're sinning a lot, I don't think he would rescue you from your uncomfortability. I don't. I think what he's trying to do is doctrinally shape you in such a way that you would know you can't lose your salvation. But I think that there are other places in the scripture that would say, good, be uncomfortable in your sin. You should not be comfortable in your sin. In fact, God strategically makes it that way where the spirit makes you increasingly uncomfortable in your sin. And so I don't, I don't think he's the book. This is not the book you would turn to to justify your immoral behavior. This, is, this book will bring you no comfort for that. But hopefully it is a book that as you've read it, you can say, it is my right as a child of God to put my head down on my pillow every night and say, I belong to God and nothing will ever change that. I belong to God and nothing will ever change that. And so then at the, he, you know, gives all these commands, whatever, whatever. And then did y'all, like, I don't know. I just feel like the first time I read the end of First John, I just kind of, like, laughed out loud because he's like, remember, children, love, morality, obedience, all these themes we've heard over and over again. And then at the end, he's like, little children, keep yourself from idols. <laughs> Which he has not said, like, idols at all in this letter. We haven't talked about idols at all. Like, we've definitely just been talking about the moral test, the social test, the the doctrine. Like we have had themes that he has weaved in and out, 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 in and out. I mean, you can make a braid with with his themes. And then all of a sudden he's like, um, and by the way, little children stay away from idols. And you're like, what? Is that just like a weird PS? Like, like, I don't, like the first time I read it, I was like, I wonder if some commentator is going to be like, well, maybe on the first scroll, John had just enough room at the very bottom for one last line. And he was like, all right, one last line. Um, I'm not going to say boomer sooner because the University of Oklahoma doesn't exist yet. And I don't really know any knock knock jokes because that's not really a construct from my day and age. So, uh, I don't know. Let's just go with the tried and true. Keep your way. Keep it. Keep away from idols. Like, like it's just like a weird poster. Like X O X O zero zero. Love you. L Y L A S. Big Johnny. O N P S. Stay away from idols. Like I don't know. I don't. I, like first time I read that, and so I of course had to turn to the commentaries and be like, 
what? Why is he ending his letter like this? Which I think is so funny. And so here's what most commentators think. Uh, well, not most, some. Some commentators basically say, look, John has made a very strong case about what God is like throughout this book. That that God is love, that God is light, that he is um, in him. There is no darkness in him is fellowship and in him is a fellowship that we celebrate. And so it feels as if John has made a very strong argument for what God is like throughout this letter while addressing their fears. And so it's just this last reminder of like, hey, in light of how great God is, the one true God, then stay away from anything that's a false God. And making idols is a very common thing that that people did then. It's a very common thing that, frankly, we still do today. We just don't do it as, like, it's just not as, you know, made out of clay. But we we have idols all the time. And so I think what he's trying to do is contrast the God that he has described this whole time. God is love. God is light. God is loving. God is with you. God is for you. God allows you to overcome. God's done these, you know, perfect tense verb things for you so that you have ongoing results. God is good, 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 good. So, hey, don't have an idol. Like, why would you have something created that couldn't possibly hold a stick to the one true God? And so that's what a lot of people think he's doing. It's just this last little reminder. Hey, in light of how great a God we have, stay away from anything that is man-made. Just stay away from that. That will only lead to heartache and trouble. Just stay away from that. And so though it feels abrupt and a little out of place, um, and I don't know, I'm going to ask John someday, like, hey, did you just have like one more space on your on your scroll, or you're just like, I don't know, I just have like one more line to write, and I wanted to sound like Moses. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm gonna, I don't know. I don't know if he's like, hey, Amos used to say this stuff. Like, maybe I could say this stuff. I don't know. That's probably not it. It's probably what the commentators think. It's like, hey, God is so good, so do not make yourself a really crummy idol and bow down to it. That's probably what's going on there. But I just think it's a really funny ending to the book. And so, okay, so that's how the book ends. Yay, cool, First John, what's our big so what at the end of all of this? Um, I think it is a very, I, I think that their experience in the first century is actually not that far removed from our experiences here in the 21st century. I believe that there will, until Christ returns and makes all things new, I believe that there will be people who come and presume to be spokespeople for God. Some, maybe they just are ignorant, right? And they just don't know any better. And they don't really have malicious intent, but they're just uneducated and untrained. And they um, they do a poor job of being a spokesperson. That That's one category. And then there's another category, which is what was going on in, in that John's addressing. And that they, they know that they're distorting it, but they're doing it for their own gain. They're doing it for their own power. And I'm going to tell you all, in the American Christianity that we have today, power, politics, and Christianity should not be wed together in the way that they are. They should not. Celebrity culture and Christianity should not be wed together the way they are. And yet, that's the landscape we have, which means that so many of us who are just trying to understand God better, we just want to worship God better, and we're trying to use the best resources in front of us, sometimes it can be disorienting. There's a lot of noise around us. There's a lot of noise, and it's and it's brought even louder through the advent of social media, the printing press. I mean, like, I get it. I get it. I walk into Christian bookstores all the time, and I'm like, wow, there's a litany of voices here. And it would be naive of me to think every one of them is trustworthy and valuable and should have the same weight 
as the others. And so my so what's not going to be like, so that's why I only read the Bible, right? That's not it. Like God has designed for a community of voices to speak into our lives. And so instead the so what is this, is that you're going to go through seasons where appendages of your faith are going to be shaken, like your view on maybe women in the church or maybe your view on refugees or maybe your view on um, fill in the blank, right? Your view on um, marriage, maybe your view on sexuality, like maybe what it like purity culture. Like there's so many like deconstructing your faith is this term that people use all the time. But frankly, it's happening. It's happening. And I think that there are so many times that we learn something maybe in a context where we grew up with our parents and then later we are in a different context. And now we're like, gosh, I don't know if my parents and my parents' church were right. And that's disorienting and it's disarming and it's confusing and it's difficult. And then you add to that people who are maliciously trying to teach you things about Jesus that aren't true. And so my so what in this isn't like, it's a scary world out there. Build a bunker and get enough water to last until Jesus returns. Like, no, we are called to be light in this world. We are called to be ambassadors in this world. We are called to take the gospel, which is preaching grace and doing justice into a world that so desperately needs the message that God is life and God is light and God is love. The world needs that message. And it's our job to be so full of God's spirit and God's word and God's love that we would go out in the world and we would bring some God juice, as my pastor would say, out into the world. So my so what is this, is in those seasons where you're rocked, like when we find these Ephesian folks, where, where John comes in and has to say, hey, stick with me. What I would say is this, is that a life spent getting to know the Trinity by a deep dive into his word, by long abiding prayers, by asking God to give you wisdom and clarity and discernment and knowledge, by being around people who've been faithful to Christ for a long time, by reading books that have stood the test of time, by surrounding yourself with people who encourage you to excel still more, by surrounding yourself with people who want to see your flourishing and see God's flourishing in the world around you, if you can spend your life doing that, plus the other things, like, right, plus the nine to five, plus the raising kids, plus being a good aunt or uncle, plus, you know, I get it, like, I get it. But if you will spend your life seeking the face of God, then it makes those waves a whole lot easier to ride out. And what you need are good pastoral leaders to come to you and say, little children, and not condescendingly, but little children, because we love you, remember what has been received from trustworthy witnesses about Jesus Christ, about God the Father, about God the Spirit. And if you will anchor yourself, anchor yourself in the love of God, then you will find that these storms are not only rideable, but you might even be an asset to others who are ducking because they're fearful and scared and all of that. And so I will just remind you what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and hopefully this will be a good benediction for you as we close out this letter. But may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the community of the Holy Spirit be with every one of you. If nobody's told you today that they love you, I do. Way more importantly, God does. Peace out, friends.